On today's show, we will be interviewing Jacob Steinmetz, the first Orthodox Jewish baseball player drafted by a major league ball club, the Arizona Diamondbacks. We will hear his story from navigating the minor leagues to playing for Team Israel and much more. Plus, in our mailbag, we'll talk about a possible auction strategy for daily leagues, and we'll also have Ruvain's injury update. That's all coming up next on Beat the Shift. And welcome to another episode of the Beat the Shift podcast. I am your host, Ariel Cohen, and with me as always is Ruven Guy. How are you, Ruven? I'm doing great. How are you doing today? I'm doing fantastic, and we have a special guest on the show today. He was a third-round draft pick for the Arizona Diamondbacks back in 2021. He's the first Orthodox Jewish player selected in an MLB draft. He played for Team Israel and pitched for them, started a game in the 2023 World Baseball Classic. This past year, he threw 62 strikeouts in 72 and change innings with an 18.5% strikeout rate combined with a 43% ground ball rate at A-Ball in Arizona. Welcome to the show, Jacob Steinmetz. How are you, Jacob? I'm doing well. How are you guys? I'm doing great. And uh, by the way, you have uh, two personal connections with me. Um, one is uh, you had an assistant coach with you in your high school, uh, a guy named Jason, who uh, actually plays softball with me on Sunday mornings. That's one. Um, yep. And um, uh, your father and my wife were in the same class in elementary school together. <laughs> oh, really? I, I, that's funny. Yes, yes. I, I was going through some old uh, yearbooks uh, just randomly uh, uh, a year ago and uh, looking at my wife's eighth grade yearbook, and I'm like, Elliot Steinmetz, wait a minute. You went to the same school? And there, there you go. So, so uh, personal connection here. Cool. Very cool. So uh, just uh, you know, a little bit about your background uh, and history. Um, you know, wh- how did you get into baseball growing up? Uh, I'm assuming you played Little League. You played in high school. Like, what, what was your intro to getting into baseball? Um, yeah, so, I mean, obviously, so as you know, but um, not not sure how many people do. My dad's a basketball coach, has been for a while, um, always been a basketball family. So basketball was always my first sport, sport but I always played baseball, um, whether it was T-ball in our, in our school league, in our synagogue league, or once we started a little league. Um, and I always just, I just fell in love with it really from a young age. So um, once I turned seven, my dad started reaching out, trying to find uh, some higher level competition. So we started playing travel ball. Um, and just from there, it kind of took off. Obviously, it took a couple of years for it to become serious. But um, I always just, I really just fell in love with it. And um, yeah, so it started from a young age and really just stuck with it. Do you know what age you started to throw, let's say, 70 miles an hour, 80 miles an hour, 90? Like, do you have those milestones? Um, I don't have the exact no, the 70 not as much um, neither 80 honestly um, 80 was probably I could say freshman year of high school maybe um, but 90 is not one you forget very easily so I, I remember that one that one was uh, the first time it was actually COVID it was, it was still during COVID it was I want to say I was 16 um, turning 17 that year so it was like that summer of 2020 and you were drafted right out of high school. Now, my son and Ariel's son, they both made their own baseball team as freshmen. How 
I mean, we want to know, I mean, I don't think our sons are as good as you are, but we want to know how did you prep yourself and get and be be able to be noticed from from a small high school like you came from? Um, yeah, so it was really through travel ball um, was kind of how I started um, just getting seen by colleges first. Uh, I really wasn't even thinking pro ball up until senior year of high school, but just trying to uh, trying to get recruited by colleges kind of just gets your name out there. Um, and but for that, I was I just really had my travel ball coaches. I got very lucky that um, all my travel ball coaches throughout the year have been really great people and always had my best interests first. Um, I know there can be a bunch out there that have their ego or their team's ego or whatever it is. Um, but thankfully, the, the the guys I always played for had had my intent, my interests, and they really wanted what, what was best for me. So they they were reaching out to a lot of college coaches that they knew. Um, and that kind of got my name out there for for college and then kind of over covid things obviously start shutting down i started working out a little bit more so summer of 2020 um my travel ball coach happened to have been a former scout and he reached out to a bunch of his friends that were in the area in long island that were still scouts and they came and watched some of the games um and I, I performed pretty well, thankfully, that summer and into the fall. And that was kind of how I got my name out there going into my senior year. Um, and then I went down to Florida um, March of 2021, a little bit before the draft, at a program called Elevate, which was really just a, like a baseball academy down there. And once I thankfully already had my name out there and I was working with a couple of people that, that, were my, that are now my agents, but before then you call them advisors because of the NCA rules. Um, they, they started reaching out to a bunch of different teams and scouts and they were coming to see me. And thankfully I was performing pretty well down there also. So it kind of just shot up from there. Right. Uh, Ruben and I were back in uh, Arizona uh, about a month ago. Uh, and I know you uh, visited the uh, Salt River Fields over, uh, you know, Diamondbacks complex there. And just wanted to get your take on uh, what has been your experience so far as a first year minor league ball player. Um, it's been awesome so far. Uh, yeah, Salt River, that's that's where our spring training facility is, and that's kind of where our home base is. Um, so, I mean, I, I, in my opinion, which could be a little biased, but I've seen the other ones. We have one of the nicer um, facilities in, in agree. Arizona. Definitely in agree. Definitely agree. That's all right, good to hear the unbiased opinions then. Um, but, um, but, yeah, so far it's been awesome. All the guys have been great. The team's been unbelievable, whether – it's accommodating for for religious, um, whether for 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 religious, um, I guess aspects of it, whether it's kosher food or Sabbath or holidays or whatever it is, um, and then baseball wise, they've been unbelievable so far. And I mean, their their performance this year definitely speaks for how they've been doing develop development wise. And what were your goals for this past year? And do you think you achieved them? Um. My goals for this past year were really to just kind of get get a feel of what full season at, at an affiliate um, is like, because my first full year of pro ball I spent in the complex league, which is still technically rookie ball, still part of the minors, but it's it's definitely a different field than being with a team going on road trips and traveling to different places and stuff like that. Um, so being able to kind of get out of Arizona and, and be in California all year and get to know the guys on that team and really just hang out with them. And you build a different bond when you're on four or five hour bus rides with these guys, as opposed to 
30 minute rides in Arizona and then you're just going back to your hotel room. So it was definitely cool to get out. Um, and the baseball wise, my goals, I mean, it was, I didn't really have very, uh, very high goals. I was really just trying to focus on getting through, um, healthy, which thankfully I did. So I guess you could say my goals were completed on that part. Um, but for my first year, I really just wanted to, to try to, like I said, get out of the, get out of the complex in Arizona and just start really start my pro career. And what are your goals for next year? What are your own personal goals? And what do you think the Diamondbacks expect of you for next year? Um, well, I can't really speak for the Diamondbacks part because I haven't spoken to them about that yet. Um, but for me personally, I mean, it's obviously always to just perform the best I could. Um, but I, I guess like more specifically, um, one of my goals for this year is to start in high A um, and then finish the year in double A and hopefully get an invite to the Arizona Fall League at the end of the year. Um, so obviously pretty, pretty tall tasks, but I think I'm capable and hopefully have a good enough year to show it. Absolutely. So you were drafted 77th overall, which uh, I'm not sure you're aware of this, but the numerical Hebrew equivalent. Now, like uh, I say new, he, Hebrew equivalent, uh, if you if you take the English alphabet, for example, A is one and B is two and C is three and so on and so forth. If you do that with the Hebrew alphabet, uh, the equivalent of that is actually adds up to 77, which is uh, uh, the word mazel in uh, Hebrew, which is luck. Are, are you are you aware of that? I actually did not know that. That's pretty cool. Oh, there you go. So you were drafted at the <laughs> Mazel pick uh, of the draft. Almost uh, too good to be true. <laughs> yeah, there you go. Uh, um, you know, so can you tell us the experience of uh, being selected and, and such a high pick and uh, a little bit about your decision to go professional instead of uh, going to college? Yeah, so, yeah, thankfully it was a pretty high pick um, because otherwise I would have been sitting there at my house with a bunch of my friends for a couple more hours. Uh, it would have been a little bit awkward, but it was definitely a cool experience. Going in, I kind of had a range of where I would be taken, um, anywhere from rounds three to five. So thankfully, I kind of had an idea, so I wasn't going to be really sitting there all day. Um, but it was super cool to have all my friends and family at the, at my house, being able to watch and celebrate with them. Um, and then going pro, I mean, for me, I'm, I'm I had I had pretty good grades, thankfully, but I wasn't the biggest school guy um not not super interested in all these classes and finals that are going on now um so thankfully being able to uh skip out on that and being at just such a young age getting into pro ball almost having a head start on the guys that that come out of college um just like for example like a couple of the guys that i got drafted with were turning 24 the same day i turned 18 when we got there so just kind of having that head start on the development at a pro level um, was definitely probably probably the main reason, I'd say, for why I decided to go pro instead of college. And before we go any further, it's time for the Injury Gurus Trivia of the Week. So earlier this year, you played in the World Baseball Classic for Team Israel. Um, you started a game. It was against the Dominican Republic. Um, and you faced nine batters going one and two-thirds innings. Can you name the nine batters you faced? And as a bonus question, how many of those you faced were or are current All-Stars? Um, I could definitely give you the lineup. The All-Stars, I can try to guess. So we got Juan Soto, All-Star. Yes. We got Julio Rodriguez, All-Star. Yes. Manny Machado, All-Star. This is a tough lineup that you faced. <laughs> yeah. Uh, now that I'm like kind of thinking ahead through it, I think they might have all been All-Stars at one point, but we'll go through it. Um, Rafael Devers. All-star. 
Um, Cattell Marte, all-star. Yes. Um, Jeremy Pena. Ooh, he might not have been. Was he? He was. No, he was not not an all-star yet. No. Not yet. Yeah, he will be. Um, Heimer. No. Yeah. Was it Candelario next? Candelario next. He was not an all-star. He was an all-star. He wasn't this year? He was not this year, no. He played like an all-star, but didn't. Yeah, right? I was going to say he had a pretty good year. Um, And then Gary Sanchez, all-star back in the day? Yes. He missed missed one. He missed one so far. One player in that lineup he missed. But otherwise, pretty good. Oh, hold on. Are you, are you a Yankees fan? Were you growing up as a Yankee fan? Yeah, I did. Okay, so the, who's their arch rival? Devers. I, I said I skipped him. You skipped Devers, yes. Oh my and bad. He, well, he was he was right after Machado because I walked him on four pitches. Yeah. <laughs> yes, Machado maybe you struck why, out. Maybe that's why I forgot about him. Yeah, because <laughs> it was so quick, probably. Yeah, um, but exactly. but but how did you get to play for Team Israel? And what was your experience like playing against this major league talent? Um, so the first question I reached out to him, or actually I'd say, my, I should say my dad reached out to him a couple, couple years back, really, um, just getting in touch kind of just like, I guess, starting a, a basis. We didn't really know. This was like a, a bunch of years ago. Like I hadn't even thought about pro ball yet. Was still trying to figure out where I was going to go to college and stuff. Um, so we reached out, he reached out to a couple of guys that he knew through Maccabi, um, and just trying to set a basis, like just in case a couple of years down the road, something came up, whether it was olympics or or this world baseball classic and stuff like that um but not really like having an exact idea whether it was going to work out or not um and then thankfully the draft came around i got taken and then had my first year um and we like reached out again knowing that the, the that it was coming up and they were they were telling us it was kind of the it was going to be a tough decision because obviously i was so young and they weren't really sure exactly how they're going to be able to use me and they had a couple guys they were waiting on to see if they were going to play or not um and then eventually uh, a couple couple weeks before they let me know that i was going to be on the team and i mean obviously it was a, a super cool experience um going in i had no idea when i was going to be pitching if i was even going to be pitching um so we got down there on a tuesday um had an exhibition game wednesday and thursday against the marlins and then the nationals and I knew I was going to be pitching Thursday, didn't exactly know when. And they told me I was going to be starting the exhibition game Thursday. I was kind of like, oh, all right, cool. Like, I'm a starter. That's good for my routine. I'll be able to get out, um, go through however many batters and get back in and be done. Um, and I ended up going one, two, three. So that was definitely cool um, facing a major league lineup, even if it was in spring training. Um, but even then going in, I really had no idea what this, like, really what the plan was for me. Um, for the actual games themselves. So we got to Miami, spent Shabbos there, didn't have any games or anything, obviously. Um, and then Sunday morning we get to the field for our game and the pitching coach, Josh Side pulled me over in the locker room. He's like, hey, we're going to have you start on uh, Tuesday, I think it was. And I go, all right, sick. And I'm like going through the schedule in my head and I like realized what team we were playing against. I was like, oh my God, like, this is going to be a tough one. <laughs> so... Um, but yeah, so really, thankfully, he gave me those couple of days to prepare, and I was able to kind of get the nerves out of the way in the first couple of days. And then once I went out there for really for warm-ups, I guess, um, was when I was the most nervous, uh, just kind of walking out there, doing my stretching on the line and running a little bit or whatever it was, just looking around the stadium because I've never pitched 
before that, the exhibition game was probably, I don't even know how many people, maybe 5,000. That was the most people I'd ever pitched in front of. And I was more nervous for that probably than the, the one in Miami. Um, so thankfully, thankfully I had that one at the exhibition game because that one really kind of, obviously it's a little more people, but it was just the, I guess at that point, it doesn't really make that big of a difference. Um, but thankfully I had a, a plan going in that I was just going to attack them and not try to pitch scared and really just try to focus on on the catcher and not worry about anything else, whether it was the crowd or who's hitting or whatever it was. And thankfully it worked out. And being the first drafted Orthodox Jewish player, what's your experience been like so far and which former or current Jewish players do you look up to? Um, so, so far the experience has been unbelievable. Like I said before, the team has been super accommodating, whether it's ordering my kosher food for me to California or, getting me another hotel for, for the Sabbath is so I can walk to the field um, or even giving me off on holidays. So, so far the team's been just really making everything as easy as possible. So that's, that's thankfully not even been at all difficult. Um, and then, sorry, what was your second question again? Who did you, which Jewish players either current right, or past yeah. have you looked up to? Um, so, I mean, obviously there's Sandy Koufax. That's always a cool one because of the, the whole Yom Kippur story and everything, but didn't really watch him growing up. So I guess there, there weren't really many, um, like specific, like Jewish ballplayers, I guess that I was looking up to. Um, I was always just a massive Yankees fan. So anyone on the Yankees, I was just, just always rooting for and looking and watching and looking up to. So, um, I'm not sure if they've had many, so yeah, I can't. I can't really say a specific one. Okay, so 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 which which player had had you as most influenced you? Would you say? Um, I don't really. I guess I haven't really like thought about it as much. I get asked this question a little bit, but I guess just growing up now, the last couple of years when I was trying to get go pro and commit to college and everything, watching Garrett Cole on the Yankees has been obviously pretty cool. Considering this year you won the Cy Young, obviously, but he just a Cy Young caliber pitcher, him pitching every year, um, and just being able to watch that is super cool. Um, but really, in general, just all the top guys, whether it was it's DeGrom or um, Garrett Cole or Scherzer or Verlander, like all those guys, just watching. I just enjoy watching good pitchers in general, I guess. Like, I'm, I'm the type of guy that will rather a one nothing game than a 10-9 game, so. Same here. You just rattled off three X Mets, by the way, with the DeGrom shirts. Yeah, for about Verlander. three weeks. <laughs> uh, yeah. Uh, and I guess if you're a Yankee fan, you're not going to uh, uh, have rooted for the Boston Red Sox, Kevin Euclid, who is a known Jewish player as well. Yeah. Well, uh, thank, he was actually our hitting coach for Team Israel. So oh, wow. I've, uh, I've changed my opinion on him. He's now a very good guy. <laughs> oh, there you go. There you go. We also had uh, Matt Mervis, by the way, on our show last year. Oh, awesome. Yeah, he's uh, so. a good dude also. Very good dude. Very good dude. Uh, talk a little bit about your dad. Um, your dad is the uh, coach of the Yeshiva University uh, Maccabees team. Uh, uh, Maccabees team. You have uh, – uh, that team had uh, an unbelievable winning streak, like, like almost a almost a 50-game winning streak, if I recall, right? Yeah, it was 50 on the dot. Um, yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Talk a little bit about, uh, you know, your, your dad's role in all of this and, uh, you know, have, having a, a coach uh, um, in your, uh, you know, pro professional coach in, in your midst uh, growing up, how, how that really influenced you. Um, it definitely helped a lot, uh, obviously, with the college aspect. It's just him kind of knowing what he's looking for in recruits. Um, he was always kind of able to give me the right advice and the right things to say and stuff like that. Um, and even now, and 
I guess even while even growing up, um, him knowing how how annoying some parents can be complaining to coaches. So he was never that kind of guy. And also him having the, the self-awareness that he was a basketball coach, not a baseball coach. Um, and him, he's just always left it up to the coaches that I was around. I give him credit. Him, my mom, they always just surrounded me with good coaches, like I said before. But, like, they never were trying to pay all this money to, to play for the top teams that are always just trying to get their best team and don't really care as much about where their kids are going to go or what they're going to do after baseball or even after high school because after that, you're not really doing anything with them. Um, so they always got me around the, these coaches that had my best interests in mind. Um, and back to my dad, the coach, he's always able to kind of separate that parent from coach um, kind of relationship, I guess, where he, he, can, he can tell whether or not I want to talk about it if I had a bad outing. Um, and he could always give me some advice, just kind of not baseball wise, or now he's picked it up a little bit, but really just how to handle myself. And speaking of coaches, without giving any secrets, what has impressed you the most about the Diamondbacks organization and any other teammates or anyone else in the organization or the prospects have impressed you so far? Um, well, uh, so, I mean, the coaches have just been, I guess, I guess, I don't know how it is in other organizations, obviously, but I can just say just for my what I thought pro ball was going to be compared to what it was, what it is. Um, the coaches are really always, I guess like should have known cause they're, they're full time. Obviously not like I had the idea that as my dad is a college D three basketball coach, he's part time. Um, so, but these coaches are obviously um, just always there and always available to uh, ask questions to and help you out, whether it's during bullpen sessions or games or practice or whatever it is. Um, and while their prospects have impressed me, there's a couple. There's a couple teammates that I played with that um, either were struggling and finished off the year well. Like I, I always, always respect those kind of guys that have a rough stretch. Like I mean, I'll, I'll say I'll just uh, I don't want to say names or anything. I don't know if they want me to, but like there, there's one kid that I know um, started off the year pretty poorly, got hurt, and then came back towards the end of the year and hit 400 the last month. So that was super impressive, and hopefully he'll, he'll keep it going. All right, so this is the Fangraphs podcast, and uh, we talk a lot about analytics on the show here. So I'm wondering, you know, what, what analytics have been presented to you thus far? Um, how, how have you interacted with analytics? Are they showing you pitch graphs? Are they giving you numbers? Uh, how, how have you worked with data and analytics as far as what uh, you've been presented with on the Diamondbacks? Um, yeah, so I guess I, I don't know how it is again at other organizations, but it seems like we're a little less an, analytically driven than other teams, um, at least with what they present to us. Obviously, we have all the, the basic ones with spin rate and spin direction and, and movements and all that kind of stuff. Um, so that's really the main stuff I look at. I'm not like a, a big in-depth numbers person like, like some other people are. Um, I'm always kind of just... Uh, get out kind of guy I guess um like let let your let the results uh show on the field not really in the numbers because the numbers could be as great as you want but if you're not getting outs on the field then it doesn't really matter um and obviously they could correlate but it's I, I always do appreciate some of the analytics parts uh whether it's the rap soda or track man or stuff like that just kind of being able to tell you how your stuff's moving that day and how hard it is and spin rates and all that kind of stuff and that definitely helps during games, especially where you can kind of know what pitches are working and what pitches aren't 
Um, I'd say that's probably my biggest use of them is coming in the dugout between games and really just getting to know, like, how's my velo today or how's my slider moving or how's my curveball moving and change up velo and stuff like that. Um, and really just being able to know what's working that day, what's not, and being able to adjust using that. Now, you mentioned look on watching Garrett Cole and stuff like that, and he had a whole scandal about having the sticky stuff. And in, in this state of baseball, there's a whole issue of whether, whether the ball is sticky, whether it's tacky, whether it's all that kind of stuff. Have you had any issues with it? Have your teammates have any issues with it, with you know handling the changes or anything like that? Um, The changes, not as much. I mean, just for me personally, and I know a couple of the guys that have come in a little later, because they made the changes, actually, I think it was my first, I want to say it was my first year that I just got drafted, so I wasn't really, like, used to the, used to anything before that. Um, I'd say the, the baseballs, when they are just fresh out of the box, are tough to throw. Um, they try to rub some, some like, mud on it. I, I don't exactly know what the exact substance is, but um, I know each ball that's used in game is done that professionally and inspected or whatever it is. Um, I've never used the, the sticky stuff. I've heard good things about it from other people. Um, but I don't have any problems with the baseballs in game. And in the future, there's always talk of having robo-umps. What's your opinion on that? Um, as a pitcher, it's a very love-hate relationship, I'd say, because I actually, I actually just saw a video of not the robo-umps, but the challenge system. Um, and... It's, it's definitely cool when the pitcher's able to challenge it because you always want that extra that extra inch off the plate or whatever it is. Um, so that would be a reason, I'd say, for, for the human umps. But then there's also different situations where you might get the call um, with the human ump, but the robo-ump isn't going to give it to you. Um, I, I actually just saw a video on it. I think it was either today or yesterday um, of a pitcher throwing a strike three on a 3-2 count, and then the batter challenged it. And then ended up being a walk, and I was kind of like, oh, well, I don't like that part. So I was, I'm kind of hoping we could do just one way um, where it helps the pitchers, but I'm not sure exactly that's going to happen. All right, so now a very, very important question. What's your advice to me, a 41-year-old <laughs> softball pitcher? How do I get uh, How do I get more strikeouts? I, I've improved to about 5K per nine. So that's pretty good in a softball that's, game. Yeah, I'm not exactly familiar with the softball analytics. Um <laughs> But most most people aren't, so don't worry nine, about it. Yeah, five Ks for nine sounds pretty good to me. I'm not, I don't think I have any advice. I might need to take some advice from you, actually. <laughs> sounds good. Thank you so much, uh, Jacob. Uh, Jacob Steinmetz, everyone. Uh, thank you so much for coming on the show here. Uh, we wish you really the best of luck uh, in your career and and going to this year. When when do you have to report to uh, spring training? I'm not sure yet. Spring training usually starts uh, for pitchers and catchers, obviously mid to late February. They might have us back early for a little bit for some stuff, but not exactly sure yet. All right. Well, good luck on that. Great new year. And uh, Ruben and I will be back with the injury report next. All right. And we're back on the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangraphs. Um, let's do one mailbag question we have left over from last week, and then we'll get to the injury update soon. This is from Jim Lulo, who asks, I'm thinking of doing a starting pitcher streaming approach this season in a 10-team auction league daily moves. What are your thoughts on focusing a heavy majority of auction money on every hitter position, 
knowing the pitchers will turn over and pitching counting stats will rack up. So he's basically asking in a daily league, should I? Ju- how about just ignoring pitching? We're talking about almost like the Labadini plan, just a minimal amount of money on total starting pitching, but getting pounding the hitting. What do you, about, what do you think about that that approach? In a in a in a weekly league, I think that's a terrible approach. You're so unbalanced. But what about in a daily league? Could that be doable, Ruben? In a daily 10-team league, that is probably the most doable, but it's still very risky. I probably would stay away from it, only because you need to have someone to um, stabilize your ERA and whip. Because if you keep just streaming guys and you're hoping this guy pitches well, and you're and remember, you, all the good guys, all the top guys will be off the board already, you don't know where you're going to get. You're not going to get that many strikeouts. Yes, you can do two-star pitchers, but the inning pitchers don't go far, that far into games. You're not going to get that many innings. Wins are so variable. Sometimes it's good to have one or two anchors. If you want to stream the rest and, and go and go like that and even stream closers, you can do that in a 10-team league. You probably could do get away with that. But I wouldn't go so much. Um, you know, you can't stream every single day. I mean, technically you can, but I, I've never seen it done, and I've never seen it successful. Yeah, I was thinking about answering very similarly. Well, first of all, uh, the fact that it's daily, it makes it somewhat doable. In a weekly, I mentioned, forget it. Um, 10-team league, more doable than if you were in a 15-team league uh, mixed or, or, or more d- or deeper. Uh, that just you won't have enough of those pitchers at the bottom. The replacement level is much lower that. It's just not feasible. 10-team, you know, the, you might be able to do some of that. Um, but I, I would recommend if you were going to try to do like the Zima approach, which is get one ace, at least you lock down one ace, and then you can go cheap and try to get some skills low down. That is possible to work. Uh, again, I wouldn't do it because it's risky, but that's possible. So I would go for one heavy ace, you know, get your get your Spencer Strider up top, and then go cheap, cheap, cheap. So you're allocating some portion to an ace, and then take shots. I mean, I, I I think that the dollar shots at the bottom generally don't work out. I'd rather you take shots somewhere between the five and ten dollar range. If you want to do it that way and say I'm gonna I'm gonna avoid the blob in the middle from like the second round all the way to the to, to the tenth round, sure. Uh, to go dollar 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 is probably overkill. And then if if you're streaming every day and you're using if you're fab to if it, if it is a fab league, you're gonna be using your money constantly and. You know you're gonna you're gonna miss out sometimes if if you spend fab on a, on a on a streamer and for for just for that day and they get rained out it's a waste of money are you gonna hold on to them you're not gonna hold on to them it brings up a lot of different issues yeah you have to be prepared about the fab because you're gonna have to use more like you might want to also incorporate getting your closers um and spending on that right because if you don't spend on your closers then you're gonna have to get closers in season and that's gonna drain your fab even more. So there's a lot to take a lot to take a part of this. Uh, and do you and I don't know if this is a, a, a roto league or a points league, but in a roto league, do you have to kill every single category by that much? You know, I don't know if you you, you have to divert you know two hundred and twenty dollars out of your whole budget. It might be overkill. And and based on based on our philosophy, this type of team would finish somewhere somewhere in the middle of the pack. Yeah, right. You'd be low pitching and 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 high hitting. Um, Listen, uh, try it. Use our suggestions here. Give it a shot, and at the end of the year, let us know how it worked out for you. That actually is pretty interesting, if, if you would. All right, uh, injury report, Uvain. Uh, what do you got for us in the offseason? 
Well, this episode was mainly about pitchers, so I'm going to throw a couple of pitchers out there. Um, Daniel Hudson, who missed the second half of the season because of an MCL sprain, was re-signed by the Dodgers. He seemed healthy and was possibly going to be activated if the Dodgers made it to the NLCS. So he should be good for next year. And he's a guy to look at to, toward the end of their bullpen. You may want to take a streaming pick on him, either in, at the end of a draft or something like that, if he shows that he's healthy during spring training. Shohei Otani, have to mention him. He had the big contract and everything like that. He had a second elbow surgery. We all know about that. He had his big press conference. We found the name of his dog, but we didn't find out the exact nature of the surgery that he had. So if he did have a second revision of Tommy John, he is a DH for this year. He should hopefully be back either first month, second month of the season. But as for pitching-wise... Not many pitchers have come back from two elbow surgeries, let alone two Tommy John surgeries, and have been effective. Could he do it? He is a unicorn, but if if you're in a keeper league and you're keeping him for, as a pitcher, I don't know if you really, really want to do that. You, you may want to think about trading him and, and selling him high, I guess, right now, as, as much as you can say. Alec Manoa, Blue Jays general manager, said that he has... Uh, General Manager Ross Atkins said that Manoa has earned the right and have a strong leg, leg up for the opening day starting rotation spot. He was shut down at the end of September. He had injections for a, sh a sore shoulder. And the GM also said that those injections were Manoa's idea. And he wanted it was his, it was, quote, it was his decision. We supported him. He made the decision on his own to move in that direction. There was no structural issue. So there's something to think about going into next year. He looks like he will have a roster spot, so you may want to take a, uh, you know, a stab at him. He may be some, a guy to look at. Luis Severino, another guy coming off of injury issues from last year, another year removed from Tommy John surgery, had a lat injury in the beginning of spring, had a high-grade oblique strain toward the end of the year. He has already posted himself a video of, a video of himself this offseason throwing. He is a bounce-back candidate. That's why the Mets signed him. High risk, low reward, and uh, I mean, low, low, sorry, I got that wrong. High, yeah, high risk, high reward type pitcher. That's what it is. Um, and it's a very good chance that you can get him real cheap and he may turn out to be a great pitcher or at least a serviceable pitcher. Another guy, Johan Oviedo, he had Tommy John surgery actually earlier this month. He is out for next year. And one more I want to end with, Clayton Kershaw. He told the uh, radio station actually this week that he's still trying to decide where he will pitch next year. He is five weeks out of shoulder surgery. He said he, quote, feels great and will be back some at some, quote unquote, at some point this summer. So he's another guy. You may not want to take him right away, but you may want to think about him toward the end of the draft if you have room to stash him on your bench. I got two points to make on, on that stuff. So one, Alec Manoa. He's going right now ADP around 370, let's say, according to the NFBC. Probably most of them are like draft champion style, uh, style leagues. I mean, that's got to be a that's got to be a good shot at pick three seventy. I mean, who the hell knows what the hell happened last year? But I mean, he was an all star. Yes, yes, his his bounce back and his ceiling is high. We've seen his ceiling, so it's a matter of whether or not he's healthy and he gets the opportunity. Isn't that worth? Isn't that worth the shot? I mean, I, I, you know, you know, right now it's December. Isn't it worth a shot to take that if you're drafting really early right now? Why not? You got, you got, at this point, it, I don't like drafting this early, but yes, it is definitely worth a shot because who else are you going to get around that spot in the, in the draft? I mean, are they, they may have similar value, and Alec Manoa has a chance of, you know, a re, that's a really good upside pick of, you know, of being a top-notch opening day, starting opening day type pitcher if he's healthy and if he's right. For a, for a good team that, that gets wins. Yes, so, uh, yes. 
I think so. And uh, Shohei Otani, I mean, all that tracking, that flight to, to, to Toronto. Why didn't anybody send, like, an investigative reporter to see what the dog's name was? That would have been a better clue. Yes, I think we're more concerned about his dog than right now than his elbow, which is which is a good distraction method because he's known as a two-way player. How much longer will he be able to be a two-way player? He signed a 10-year contract. How many of those years is he actually going to be pitching in if he's had two Tommy John surgeries? And how much time is he, is he going to miss hitting-wise at the beginning of the year? Um, he said he should be ready by 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 opening day. I mean, that, that's that's what that's what the well, the word around you know the word been going on. Um, there's a possibility that he'll be ready for opening day. I don't see why not, um, or at least mid-April or to end of April. Um, I mean, if he was just a hitter, Reese Hoskins had elbow surgery, had a had a uh, you know a, a Tommy John type surgery, and was back for opening day, and he had an off season and or like the second week of the season. So it's possible that he can do it. Will he be at a hundred percent and playing at a hundred percent? I you know it's a matter of how much the Dodgers want to push him. Well, what does it matter? He's only making two million next year, anyway. That's that's true. Bobby Benny is making how much next year? So who, who's going to have 1. a higher seven? Who, who's going to have a higher war next year, uh, Bobby Bonilla or uh, Shohei Otani? <laughs> uh, well, that's not a question there. Uh, I mean, Ken, Ken Griffey Jr. is is going to make more than two million next year as well. Yeah, he's not I, playing. Yes, I think I think Chris Davis is also making more than that. So it's it's kind of a you know crapshoot for that. That's so, crazy. Yeah. Well, that whole contract is a different discussion that I'm sure we'll all have later on. But thank you for the injury update, and thank you once again to uh, Jacob Steinmetz uh, of the Arizona Diamondbacks for coming on the show. Talk a little bit about being a first year player in uh, in the minor leagues. All right, moving. Uh, What's uh what's going on with you these days? Well, you can follow me on X or Twitter. Um, my I am at MLB Injury Guru. You can catch up on all the injuries. I do post them as I see them as they come up during the off season. You don't see a lot of them that much at this point because teams are not obligated to tell you anything. So you may not find a lot about about pitchers or hitters until you get closer to spring training. But whatever I find, I do tweet out there. I also have a weekly in season article for Rotoballer. Um, you can catch that, and also hopefully that'll help you on a weekly basis with your injury problems. All right, I'm Ariel Cohen. My stuff over at Fangraphs, over at Rotoballer. ATC projections will be up on multiple sites in January, about the third week in January. So look for that then. And uh, us on the Beat the Shift podcast will be back in January with uh, all new episodes. We'll be going weekly then to get you prepared for the draft season. So I want to wish everybody a very happy and healthy New Year. I know it's a week early or so, but uh, happy and healthy to everybody. Yes, and hopefully everyone will be able to learn from their mistakes from last year and make resolutions not to make them this year. All right, that's a wrap. Thanks again from all of us here at Beat the Shift. We'll see you next time. Thanks for listening to the Beat the Shift podcast presented by Fangress. Follow us on Twitter at beat underscore shift underscore pod.